the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's 804. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everyone in the world, everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. 1 John, 2nd chapter, verses 15 through 17. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel, and with me in studio is Alexandra. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us today. This passage of Scripture keeps drawing me back. I've been living in 1 John over the last weeks. This Scripture is literally saying there must come a separation between our heart and the world. There must come a separation. When we look at Jesus with his disciples, he called them, to come and follow after him. So they they left their fishing fleets. They no longer did their normal job. He said, I'm going to make you into a fisher of men. So the disciples for three years, three and a half years, are separated from the normal daily life. I was in Israel a year ago And I went to Capernaum, and there I saw the oil presses. I saw the Sea of Galilee. I saw Magdala, where they brought their fish, and it was there processed and sent on to Rome. The part that was so stunning to me is that that whole area, Tiberias, Capernaum, Magdala, they all are functioning today either as tourist traps or they're functioning in business. There are little restaurants around, there are businesses. It's all continuing. But Jesus called his disciples to separate from the world, to come out of the world not to leave the world, but to separate from the world. Now, today we're going to walk with you through the 11th chapter of the book of Luke. We are called to separate from the world, not leave it. We don't separate from the world to be by ourselves. We separate from the world to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ, to be a part of the church. Now, this is a very difficult concept for us in our our Western culture because the church today is not a body of saved people. Today, they call the church a hospital, And the hospital 
should rather be named the nursing home because nobody ever gets well. The church today is not a place where people overcome their sin and become victorious in Jesus. This is a great sadness to our hearts because we believe the church is a place where the saved come in fellowship one with another, in holy fellowship one with another. So this is a normal day in the life of Jesus if there was such a thing. And on this day, Jesus is doing what he often did. He has gone apart to pray. Now, prayer is revolutionary. Because we're praying to a being we cannot see. We're praying. We're making requests. We're identifying with. Jesus has gone to pray. And as he finishes, his disciples are waiting on him. And they say to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, first, this is a very startling request because they have God with them. So why do they need to learn how to pray when God is right there and they can speak with him? But they'll grow into that. It will take some time. But what's interesting to me is not one of the disciples saying to Jesus, teach me to pray. It's teach us to pray. Now we move to verse 2. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive every one that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer, and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So when we begin with the Lord's Prayer, we have to recognize 
that this entire passage that we've just shared with you is one continuous passage. It's not disconnected. So we're asking, what's the central theme of this entire passage? What is it that Jesus wants to really get at, that he wants to address with his disciples? So let's dissect just for a moment this Lord's Prayer. It's our Father. Our Father. So the disciple is saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus responds by saying, Our Father, not my Father. So it's a corporate prayer. It's an individual prayer in the context of the church. So it's our Father, hallowed be thy name. That is, holy, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So as we begin to enter into Jesus, as we leave the world, as we stop identifying with all of the things of the world, we come to this family. We are not saved except as we are brought into the family of God. And so we pray, Our Father, your name is holy. So right from the beginning, I'm going to acknowledge the holiness of God and I'm going to ask that his will be accomplished, not my will. Now, everything in the passage that I shared from 1 John, the love of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boasting of what one has and does is all about me and mine. It is self-centered. It is self-concerned. But when I come to Jesus, I'm called out of the world. I'm called to follow Jesus and walk as he walked. And I'm called to ask that his will be accomplished. Now, I know we get in a difficult situation And we ask Jesus to deliver us. Because we want deliverance. The gospel teaches that we come to Jesus and ask that his will be accomplished in this circumstance. And it's a corporate accomplishment of his will. So very practically what we're saying here is the first John passage is an example of selfishness. So if I'm concerned with my own lust and what I can get in the world, I am selfish. But what we see in the Lord's Prayer is a turn towards the heart of Christ, which is to put others above ourselves, to love others as ourselves, to love God first. So we see the shift from selfishness to benevolence and so that's why the lord's prayer begins with a recognition that our father is in heaven 
our Father is not of the world, but our Father is in heaven, and we're asking that his name be upheld as holy, and that his will be done on the earth even as his will is done in heaven. And so this really opens it up because now we're thinking about praying for others in this prayer. So for example, I was just sharing with one of my friends this morning, she had never heard about the crisis in North Korea that's going on with, I mean, for the past 70 years, the Kim regime has been trying to actually exterminate all Christians from the country. So she had never heard about babies being drowned in buckets or Christians being rolled over by steamrollers. She'd never heard that if you're found with a Bible in North Korea, that they will not only take you, but they'll take your grandparents, your parents, your children, your grandchildren, all of your brothers and sisters. They'll take your entire family and you'll go missing, probably into a forced labor camp where you'll die within six months. So the Lord's Prayer helps us to know how to pray for our brothers and sisters. And so, for example, we come to deliver us from evil. Now, if I'm selfish, I'm only thinking about God delivering me from unpleasant circumstances in my own life. But if I'm thinking about the body, then I'm thinking about, okay, well, what about the Christians who are very tempted to deny the faith in their current situation? The Christians who don't have Bibles, they aren't able to meet with other Christians to pray, to worship, to sing praises to God. Those people need to be delivered from evil. And moreover, as we're going to come to this final verse, verse 13, about giving the Holy Spirit, these people are in great need of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is true not only for our persecuted brethren, but this is true for our brothers and sisters here in the United States. There is such a great need among God's people. As we shared yesterday, Jesus is looking out and he's seeing his people scattered like sheep without a shepherd. This is primarily a leadership problem in the church, but God's heart is that his people would be taught, would be equipped for the ministry. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, that his people would be filled with the Holy Spirit and that each Christian would be empowered to be a soul winner. So that comes out of this Lord's Prayer. So if you try to bring your Christian faith into the world where you operate like the world, you walk like the world, you talk like the world, but you have faith in Jesus, it will come off ugly. It will come off false because it is false. There's a coming out that is necessary. And this is just a side note, Alexandra. But I've noticed that you and I both have grown very tired of social settings, social chit-chat. Uh, when a group of people gather in the name of Christ for a fellowship dinner, and then the conversation focuses on all of the foolishness of the world, our hearts are grieved. Instead of singing songs of praise, 
sharing with one another about Jesus Christ and encouraging one another in this walk together as brothers and sisters, the world takes over. Somebody brings up a football team and says, that's God's team, the Patriots. Well, I walked into one church I was visiting and I walked up to a group of men who were standing, several of whom I was acquainted with. I was eager to know what they were standing there talking about. And they were talking about a football game that was that evening, and they were making arrangements for everybody to be at the central place at the home where they were going to have their football party. This was minutes before the worship service began in that church. My heart was grieved. I walked away knowing that the presence of God was not going to be in the house that day. And the presence of God was not there. It was just a ritualized worship service. The same old, same old. When we come to this passage and we begin to honestly pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done. We are now entering into a prayer, the most powerful of prayers, where we are saying we will separate from the world, from the flesh, and from the devil, and we are here asking that your will be done over our life. We're asking that your will be done over the life of the church. We're asking, Lord, that you would come and give to us our daily bread. In other words, our sustenance. And if you look at 1 John or you look at the Gospel of John, you'll find that Jesus said his body was real food and his blood was real drink. This is spiritual. That Jesus is the one we consume. And so in this, in this Lord's Prayer is the introduction to the rest of the passage regarding that daily bread. And frankly, the church is dying today because it's not getting fed any bread. The body of Christ is dying because it's not being fed the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The prayer continues. Forgive us or aphemy, remove from us our sin. And we will also forgive everyone who sins against us, that is, is indebted to us. Let me just add here, so this is not a continual prayer of repentance because you're continually sinning, but this is a prayer that is acknowledging that to remain saved, that I have to continue to walk in forgiveness. So it is inevitable that as we go through life, we're going to be offended, people are going to do things that hurt us, we're going to do things to hurt other people inadvertently. So we're asking God that he would continue to 
keep us in his sanctified, justified state because we are continuing to forgive others. It's plain in other areas of scripture that <clears throat> we can be saved, we can be like the servant who was forgiven, but then he went to his fellow servant and demanded payment and threw him into jail. And then as a result, the Lord who had originally forgiven the servant took back his forgiveness. So this is not saying that we sin every day and we need God's forgiveness every day. But this is saying that we need to continue to walk in a way where we don't have any debts against anybody. If we have offended somebody unintentionally, we need to make that right with them. And in that way, we maintain our right standing with God. And so to encapsulate what's being said in this prayer, we have our Father. He is in heaven. His name is holy. We are asking that his kingdom come upon the earth, that his will be done on the earth, as opposed to the will of the devil, as opposed to the will of the human flesh. We're asking that the will of God be brought down onto this earth now, in our present circumstances. And that he would forgive us our sins. This is not, as you've said, a continual sinning. This is a state of continually having all sin removed from us. Aphemy, removed. As we stay in that relationship with other people. And it makes me want to ask a very practical question. Who have you cut off? Who have you judged and said, Oh, if you're going to be like that, I can't walk with you anymore. Who have you cut off in the body of Christ? Who have you cut off in your family? Do you have family members you don't speak with because you're angry and bitter with them? This blocks the power of the, of the Our Father prayer. He's saying, and lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into the piercings. And deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the toil and the bitterness and the hardship of sin. Keep us pure and clean before you, O God. And then he begins this incredible parable. Suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. So we see in the scenario that <clears throat> there's three people involved. There's the friend who has the bread there's the friend who has nothing to eat and then there's this friend in the middle who is interceding on behalf of his friend and so this is a good example of if we're going to pray for our friends whether that be we're praying for a friend to be converted or we're praying for a fellow Christian who is in 
some kind of situation of need spiritually or physically that we're going to have to be persistent so it's an encouragement to us not to pray once and then say oh god didn't answer and then we stop praying because we're discouraged but jesus is telling us if we're going to endeavor to pray for our friends that we should keep asking him and this is exciting it says in verse 8 because of his importunity or in other words his shameless persistence in asking he will rise and give him as many loaves as he needs so the man comes asking for only three loaves of bread but actually he'll receive as many as he needs now this is a great encouragement because sometimes when we start praying we don't really have a good sense of the full extent of the need but god knows and so he will give everything that is needed he will give all of the grace necessary to endure whatever situation it is and to not fall away from the faith in a situation of someone who's being persecuted he will give the grace to minister you may be praying for your pastor and saying lord my pastor preaches week after week he's trying to call sinners to repentance and nothing is happening well god has promised to give the holy spirit to those who ask him and if you're praying on behalf of your pastor for god to give him the holy spirit in these meetings you have this encouragement to keep asking until you actually see it happen and that god will give your pastor as much of the holy spirit as he needs in order for these sinners to come to repentance now it's also of great interest to me alexandra that he's not going to his friend at night and saying my friend i'm hungry i need something to eat would you give me three loaves of bread he's not doing that he's asking for someone else yes and that goes back to how you open this broadcast that this is fundamentally not a selfish prayer but we're thinking about our father and so we're thinking about ourselves as a body and we're thinking about the needs of other people yes so the focus is not on me and mine it is on the body of christ so the response is don't bother me but he's asked for three loaves of bread well what are the three loaves of bread the first loaf is ask the second let me read it to you so i say to you ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be open to you what i want to suggest to you as i've read this and prayed over it is that these are three necessary loaves of bread to receive the gift of the holy spirit so we come asking and if we come asking we are having to humble our heart and admit that we cannot do it now when we're faced with an impossible situation we have several options we can walk away we can wash our hands of it 
we can say, I'm done. This is horrible. I'm leaving this job. I can't stand it. That's an option. Another option is to turn in bitterness and depression and discouragement and become the chief chief victim where everything is bad and everything is hard. And why are people treating me this way? But we have another option, and that is to humble our hearts before God and begin to ask him to deliver me and those I love from this very difficult circumstance. So we begin to ask, and it humbles our hearts. But primarily, this is not a prayer asking for me to be delivered from a difficult circumstance. You'll remember the prayer began with, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So the first concern is that God's name would be upheld as holy, regardless of whether I am delivered from my circumstance or not. The second is that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done, as in heaven, so in earth. So this is not fundamentally about, oh, those or those closest to me are having a hard time. This is fundamentally about we as Christians need to be walking and living in a way that upholds the holiness of the name of God and that brings his kingdom on the earth, which includes the salvation of the lost. It includes the church being holy. It includes things like Washington, D.C. voting dry. I mean, there's many things that are encompassed in this prayers. It includes abortion being ended justice for the oppressed there are many things encompassed in this prayer but the point is to get your eyes off of yourself and i wanted to go back to this question about the bread so we see in verse three give us day by day our daily bread and then this friend comes asking for three loaves of bread so what we're asking for is a provision from god for our friend, something that only can come from God, and it may be salvation, it may be the Holy Spirit to empower that person for ministry, it may be perseverance. There's many things that we can pray for on behalf of others, but the key is that it has to be coming from God, or there will be no change. Let's go right to the heart of this. As you're saying, Alexandra, we are asking for bread for someone else. Yes. We are petitioning God. But now I want to be I want to be very frank. We're going to come to this passage that says, "Your Father in heaven will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him." I am asking for the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm not asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that I could have a high religious experience. I'm asking for the gift of the Holy Spirit to be enabled to carry out the task that is set before me, the ministry that is set before me. So it is not a selfish asking. 
Yeah, so one example of that is we've been praying that as you listen to this radio broadcast that you would be healed, that you would be saved, if indeed you that you would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's something that would hallow the name of God. It would bring God's kingdom on the earth as it, as it is in heaven. And we, just us speaking on this microphone is not going to heal you. It's going to have to be the power of God from heaven in us, empowering our message so that you can be healed as you hear this broadcast. It really is something God has to do. It is supernatural. And so we come asking for that loaf of bread. For you. For you. For you who are listening today. For your healing. For you to be humble and contrite before God. For you to be filled with his spirit. For you to be a soul winner. For you to become a fisher of men. Leaving the world, the flesh and the devil. Leaving behind all of the lust of the eyes leaving behind the lust of the heart, being washed and made clean. And this is the second part. Seek and you will find. Well, what does that mean? It means I earnestly desire with all my heart to be brought fully into the kingdom of God. To be separated from all of the wickedness of the world. To be brought into the presence of God. And the presence of God all through the Old Testament is spoken of as seeking the face of God. Seeking his face, the intimacy of the face, not the hand. I'm not demanding that God do things for me. I'm seeking the face of God. And as I seek the face of God, everything changes, shifts, is moved. And I recognize I'm not in this quid pro quo. I'm not in this for what I can get out of God. I'm in this for others. I'm in this to give my heart and life in service to Jesus. It says, knock and the door will be opened. This asking of the humbling of my heart, this Seeking the face of God finally brings me to that place where, okay, I'm ready to knock on the door. Because remember in Revelation, the third chapter, it's Jesus who stands at the door. And he stands knocking at the door. So there is a mutual coming together between my heart and Jesus' heart. So let's just be clear. We're not talking about you being saved in the process of praying this prayer, but we're talking about you coming into a place of humility. As we pray, it, we, it, the Holy Spirit leads our mind to really think and feel about the situation in a way that we would not if we prayed. And the process of prayer humbles us so that when the answer comes... We can lift our hands and praise God because we know that it was all God who did it. It makes it safe 
for us to receive the blessing. It makes it safe for our friend to receive the blessing. Otherwise, we would become proud and it would injure God's kingdom to answer our prayers. So this asking and seeking and knocking is not like I am, I'm somehow in sin and now I'm going to be brought out of sin, but it's this humbling of the heart. There's always a deeper place of humility we go because the more we pray, the more that we like tackle big bigger things in prayer. And so it's sort of like a coming up, Reese Howells talks about it as like a coming up in stages or in steps in the intercession. So this word is being spoken by Jesus, not to the sinners, but to his disciples. Yes. He's not calling them out of sin. He's calling them to come up higher. He's calling them to catch the vision of caring for another. And so he says, Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? So as we're praying, we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking on the door. It's not God we're changing. This prayer process changes you and me. It adjusts our attitude. Could I say this? Some who call themselves Christians have a very contentious, critical spirit in their heart. And they're quickly strike out at another. Well, they'll repent, but something has to change in the way they think, in the way they function. This prayer brings us into a place of deep humility where the contentiousness is gone, the anger is gone, the sin is not there. We are walking close with Jesus and we are praying to our Father who are in heaven. We're recognizing that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. So we're not there to prove who we are. We're there with importunity to ask for others, to intercede for others. He says, if you then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We're, ask, we're asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we recognize that it's not optional. Every Christian who desires to be used by the kingdom of God must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now there's a time of immaturity when you become first a Christian. You're baptized in water. You've walked away from all sin. And now you must be empowered by the Holy Spirit to perform the work of ministry 
in the name of Jesus. Yes, but it's worth mentioning here that maturity is not a prerequisite to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We see this especially in revivals where there will be an altar call made and sinners come up because they want to repent and receive salvation. And then Christians come up to be filled with the Spirit. And as soon as a sinner gets through and is filled with that joy and filled with the Holy Spirit for salvation, they're then encouraged to immediately seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the fact that it's two distinct works does not mean there has to be a long time in between the two. So don't beat yourself up and think that, you know, you somehow haven't done everything you need to do in order to merit the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God. It's not something that we work for or earn, but it does require us to be humble and to really understand what it is that we're asking for. And it does require that we not be walking in any sin against Jesus. It does require that we have chosen to separate from the foolishness of the flesh and the world. So we no longer will talk about television, for example. We're not interested in it. It's dead to us. Uh, The media, the social media, it is dead to us. We no longer enjoy the things we used to enjoy. We have walked away from it. And as we walk away from that and we're washed in the water of baptism, as we're washed in the water and made clean, and we've left our sin, now we're ready to receive that second baptism of fire. And I believe it's a baptism of fire because that baptism of fire comes burning through everything that would remain of any of the old ways, the old interests. Everything is put away. Yes, and if you think about it, if you're going to pray for the power to raise the dead or to grow people's limbs out who are crippled, that's a huge responsibility. And I don't think there are any of us who do not have certain weaknesses in our character that could give way under that kind of radical lifestyle change where now all of a sudden my life is consumed by revival. So that's partly why the baptism of fire is needed is so that we don't crack or cave or fall away under this incredible pressure and burden of revival which we're praying for. You can't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not have revival. They go together. And we could look back in history and see that there have been powerful people used by the Spirit of God. But as their life continued, they began to think of themselves somehow as being above or special. And pride began to enter into their lives. And so they were completely destroyed as true witnesses of Jesus. Catherine Kuhlman is one who comes to mind. 
Catherine Kuhlman had a powerful healing ministry. My pastor, who's now gone to be with the Lord, David Wilkerson, he was the man who would preach at the beginning of the service. And then she would come and minister the healing power of God. I watched one program that she did. And she began to be grieved and began to weep because she said, you're grieving the Spirit of God by your casualness in this meeting, speaking to the congregation. But later, after having some affairs with men, she really lost her way. That is true also of many others. These were people who had the gifts of the Spirit but had never been baptized in the fire of the Holy Spirit. There has to be a balance of the gifts of the Spirit and holiness. And we've watched in the charismatic movement as it watered down the Pentecostal movement. You're speaking of the charismatic renewal in the liturgical churches like Anglican, Episcopal, and Lutheran, and Catholic churches. Yes, that charismatic renewal emphasized the gifts, emphasized the experience. So people wanted to go to these renewal conferences in order to gain more of an experience with God, but they had no holiness with God. So what we're saying is there has to be both. Yes. And that comes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's also significant in this verse 13, this is Luke 11, verse 13. It says, How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So again, we have this in the plural. So the Lord's Prayer begins in the plural with our Father. And it ends in the plural with them that ask him. It doesn't say with he who asks him, which it could. So again, this is in the context of a corporate prayer of praying not only for yourself, but praying that the church would again be filled with the Holy Spirit, that it would again become the normal Christian experience for every Christian to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and in fire. I don't think we can emphasize this too much. We don't speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a mountaintop experience with Jesus so that you can just feel better about your relationship with God. It is an empowerment to spend the rest of your life fulfilling the gospel commission, being a fisher of men, winning men and women to Jesus Christ. We are not of this world. We are not of the social life of this world. We are not of the entertainment of this world. We are of Jesus Christ and of the Spirit. Well, we're almost out of time for the broadcast today. I pray that you are earnestly seeking God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit.
And would you pray for us? We're praying for you. We'd like to hear from you. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And you know what I know? When the Holy Spirit begins to come in power into this listening congregation, we will not have to give you the address and ask you to financially support this ministry. In fact, we'll have to come on the air and say, please, don't give any more. There's an abundance. We need you to stop giving so much. I don't think I'll say that. I think that will start uh, funding some other ministries. There you go. We'd some like, orphans. We'd like to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. Our webpage is stocked full of resources. You can listen to this broadcast again. You can listen to past broadcasts. You can read blog posts that I've written. It's great. Go to the webpage, and you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at National Prayer Chapel. And you can give online. Just click the Donate button. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. Join us tomorrow at the same time, 1 to 2. We're Ray and Alexandra from the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. We love you. God bless you. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.